0: Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us
1: into the future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of the ABA Journal's Legal Trailblazers series. My name is Victor Lee, and I'm a legal affairs writer with the ABA Journal. Today, I'll be chatting with Roland Vogel, Executive Director of the Stanford Program in Law, Science, and Technology. Vogel co-founded the Center for Legal Informatics, also known as CODEX, at Stanford Law School, and he researches international technology law through the Transatlantic Technology Law Forum, a think tank dedicated to transatlantic tech law and policy issues. It's great to have you on the show, Roland. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: So, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, what made you decide to become a lawyer, and what drew you specifically to technology?
2: So I've always wanted to be a lawyer. I mean, at least since uh, I was uh, 10 years old, I thought that was a a great profession and a very noble profession where people stand up for other people and help them pursue their rights and uh, help justice prevail. I have uh, grown up in, in Austria, and... Uh, Came to the U.S. about 17 years ago um, for getting my master's at Stanford Law School, and at the time I uh, got more and more interested in the legal issues that um, the internet uh, raised, you know, from uh, you know protecting privacy to copyright protection on the internet. And then after my uh, graduation, I, I worked for a short time in uh, private practice, found an opportunity to come back to the law school as a teaching fellow in the new LLM program in law science and technology that we started in 2002 Um, and then a few years into that I uh, met some people in the computer science department um, who saw opportunity in uh, bringing kind of new advances in the computer sciences to the legal system and we teamed up and founded Codex and yeah. What excites me about uh, legal informatics is that it's very um, applied uh, and uh, it it tries to tackle complex legal problems and create sort of real world solutions for people. And so that's what really inspires me and gets me up in the morning. So
1: <laughs> great. So Codex is a big deal in legal tech circles, but it might not be as well known to people who are outside of those circles. So how would you describe Codex as someone who might not be too familiar with it? And what are some things that Codex has been responsible for over the years?
2: Sure. So Codex is a joint center between Stanford Law School and the Computer Science Department. Um, Our mission is to um, develop uh, information technology that makes the legal system more efficient, uh, more efficient for all stakeholders in the legal system. Our motto is legal empowerment through information technology. So we have a very strong kind of access to justice mission that, that, that is part of the center. We have developed several uh, projects that uh, were initially research projects at the law school um, and in Codex. And some of those projects then ultimately uh, went the startup route and became companies uh, like Lex Machina, um, which was uh, the first spin spin-off really from Stanford Law School. That was based on uh, Professor Lemley's empirical research. He's really sort of the, one of the leading empirical IP scholars in the world, and uh, he said there's a lot of guesswork out there on on what's happening in the IP system. Let's let's get some real empirical data. And so we created this Intellectual Property Litigation Clearinghouse research project, and then later this became Lex Machina, uh, a startup that was recently acquired by uh, LexisNexis and uh another project the CIPIX project uh, that had to do with uh, copyright uh, clearance um, also you know started as a research project and then ultimately became a startup which was acquired by a publishing company so we've had these spin-offs um, but we also have a group of very uh entrepreneurially minded fellows and students involved in the center and they're working on their own in collaboration with the center they're working on their own startups uh, that are you know changing the way that uh, the law is accessed or how that a certain legal processes can be you know handled or automated and those you know uh, fellows who work with us and they also those entrepreneurial fellows they i think they're really some of the uh kind of leading the pack i think in the legal innovation space um you know rebel folks uh, codex fellows case text uh, many others that are doing really important work uh, in advancing the legal innovation um, agenda and so i think they've been at it for for a couple of years now and i think they're quite successful in uh, in in a marketplace and and law firms are starting to to uh, to embrace these new technologies and so I think you know we're at the point where we're going to see some pretty significant change in in the way uh that legal services are provided and and some of that change i think is um i think can be uh, i mean i don't want to toot my own horn, but some of that can i think can be traced back to the to the very lively uh legal innovation ecosystem that that has grown over the past years around codex
1: well speaking of Lex machina and Ravel. I wanted to get your take on predictive analytics. It seems like this area is starting to take off and that lawyers are starting to use it more, especially when it comes to planning out litigation strategies, You know, deciding whether or not to bring cases, deciding which judges to go in front of, and, and things along those lines and trying to forecast how long – these cases might take. Do you think, like, obviously there are other uses of predictive analytics, like in forecasting costs and planning budgets. Do you think that using predictive analytics in those other areas will catch on, or is it still too early for you to tell?
2: That's a great question, too. So I think you're right. There's been a lot of attention to, to uh, predictive analytics in the law, the um, whole area of, of big data law. I think it's, um, yeah, Lex Machina, I think it's been really the, the trailblazer in that in that area. There's other companies that have been started uh, since then um, and that, you know, do similar things in other areas of the law. So I think it is coming to many different areas of the law. Interestingly, it started um, at sort of in the field of kind of high-value litigation, like IP litigation, high-stakes high uh, litigation. And I've met some people who are talking about bringing this approach now even to simple kind of um, run-of-the-mill landlord-tenant disputes, and <clears throat> I think it it just makes a whole lot of sense uh, to just get more data about what people uh, or parties in similar situations, you know, have done or how judges in certain situations have decided. That's very informative and important information for. For parties to make decisions on how to how to navigate a particular dispute, so it makes a lot of sense from from that point of view. The whole aspect of uh, legal prediction makes a lot of lawyer understandably uncomfortable. It's that you know sort of predicting you know legal outcomes, uh, what lawyers uh, have traditionally thought of being you sort of very core to their Mission into the role of lawyers and and the thought of a machine being able to do some of that um, sort of raises the the specter of the robo lawyer and uh I think you know i mean i think we're we are you know many many years, if not decades away from from robo lawyer displacing lawyers, but it is I think one thing that a lot of companies trying to sell that technology to lawyers, are sort of, uh, you know, of facing, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, question from their, from their prospective uh, customers, you know, whether, you know, this technology is actually lawyer enhancing or lawyer replacing. And so I think, you know, I think it's an area that at the moment is growing. I think, um, you know, definitely. Companies like Lex Machina or, you know, Docket Alarm uh, and others, I I think, making great inroads with law firms. And I think this approach will become more and more of a standard. And and I think that, you know, law firms that will not leverage data will be at a disadvantage uh, vis-a-vis law firms that do. And so I think yes it's a it's an up and coming area uh but I still think we're like yeah, I think we're talking about lawyer enhancing technologies and not lawyer displacing technologies at this point uh 10 years from now uh I don't know if there are, you know certain certain areas um of legal practice that might be you know displaced by some of those predictive analytics systems
1: Right well, being in Silicon Valley, and especially Stanford Law School, it seems like you're surrounded by innovative entrepreneurial types. Mm-hmm. So what's it like when you step out of that environment? Like, do you find that lawyers and legal professionals are less concerned about this kind of stuff? Do you have to tailor your message differently when you're speaking with them?
2: Uh, yes, I think that's a great that's a great question, too. Um, you are definitely <laughs> surrounded uh, by a lot of, uh, you know, Silicon Valley types, Stanford types here, very... Um, you know, ambitious and who who sort of uh, uh, envisioning and building a a different world for for the future. Um, When I talk to people in legal practice, law firm managers, you know, I don't think there is, you know, a tremendous fear about being disrupted uh, and sort of this legal disruption uh, that we've read a lot about in recent years. And I think, you know, what we see there is a little bit more um, kind of incremental change. And uh, and so, yes, I certainly have to to adjust my message talking to those firms. But at the same time, I think there is now more than ever a kind of a curiosity and an interest in, in what's coming. I think certain things, even just that notion of the robo lawyer that, you know, most practicing lawyers would have kind of laughed at, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Now with, you know, some of the advances that we've seen, that seems like, you know, a, a plausible, <laughs> possible scenario, uh, you know, a potential threat, uh, in the future. And so I see law firms being definitely open and interested in, um, doing things differently and, you know, making their certain, you know, not just in terms of the technologies they use, but just in the way the, the business of the law firm can work and and how legal expertise, the legal knowledge that's, that's held inside law firms, how that can be made available more efficiently to the clients. There's been a lot of uh, pressure on, on, on law firms to reduce their costs and to increase, you know, to provide more value basically to the clients, to do more for less. And so law firms are feeling that pressure and uh, I think... They're looking to technology, but also new kind of business processes uh, to deliver their expertise to their clients and yet sort of create a kind of a unique kind of value proposition and keep that link with the the client. And so, yes, I think, you know, there is more, you know, for a lot of law firms, you know, business is still going quite well. I mean, I think it's been not as growing as dramatically as it has uh, up uh, until the, the recession Some people say, you know, this kind of flattening revenue in in law firms is basically just a reflection of the economy. Some people say there is um, just a lot of new competitors on the market that are eating away at the law firm's uh, business. And, you know, so I think, you know, I'm meeting out in, you know, among legal practitioners and meeting, you know, some people who are more – you're sort of sensitized to like all these kind of technological changes uh, that are coming uh and others that are feeling like well you know we're doing quite well and it's going to continue like that for for a long time and th- you know all this talk about disruption legal disruption is all just hype so uh so yeah so I've, i'm kind of in my role as uh, i see myself i'm very much like a believer in in legal innovation I think that's you know the role that my center has to be sort of a, a platform where you know so this really important thought leadership and discourse on new law and legal innovation can take place, but I also want to kind of you know modulate myself and not be uh you know speaking about something that people in the in the practice of law can't really relate to, and you know I've been trying to also, for me to better understand, you know, what are some of the barriers to to innovation and the barriers to to change in in legal practice, and that's really what I've also been focusing my own research on in in uh, uh, particularly this recent year. So yeah, I think change is coming. It's coming uh, more slowly than a lot of people have predicted, but I, I think it's coming, and uh, and it will differ from you know depending on which. You know, kind of practice area we're talking about. But, uh, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, a lot of exciting new things coming, and not, obviously not all startups will succeed, but some will, and I think some have the potential to really change the way that legal services are delivered.
1: Great. So, to kind of get into that about, you know, what's coming down the pipes, without giving away the secret sauce, what's on the horizon from Codex? What are some things that you're working on now, and what are some types of tools you think will be important in the coming years?
2: So I think um, that's a great question, too. Our focus area in legal informatics is um, in the area of computational law. And computational law is basically um, concerned with sort of the mechanization and automation of legal analysis. And so the classic example we always give is, um, you know, TurboTax is is an example of computational law. It's a system that understands all the rules of the tax code, and it understands important facts about the user, and then it applies the tax code to those facts and comes out with a legal decision, uh, which is basically how much you owe the government or how much the government owes you in, in taxes. So that's an example for computational law. Other examples would be this whole area of computable uh, contracts, smart contracts, contracts, so you know so-called self-executing contracts, and that's an area where we have a research project. Actually, both in the general computational law area and in the computable contract area, we have a research effort going going on, and that's an area that's of great interest to us. Uh, we also have a research project in the field of um, well, you know, projects called smart prosecution. Uh, that's a project uh, that we worked on with uh, the San Francisco District Attorney where well, we helped uh the district attorney to go th- go through um 4000 arrest reports that were um made in con- conjunction with arrests that 14 officers made um that were either fired or suspended from the force from the police force uh, for uh, racist text messages uh that they sent among each other and and we've been trying to help them Analyze those arrest reports, trying to you know filter out all the data points, put it in a in a structured da- database, to then start an analysis to help the district attorney maybe create a tool that will help them maybe understand better understand those arrest reports and maybe identify certain arrests that may have been where racial bias or other biases may have played a role in making the arrest. So that's another area. So I think. All of those areas i think uh those are continuing research areas for us that um I think hold great potential for the legal system, you know one on you know just creating more computable law systems i think um you know we so this is more a kind of basic research uh project going on and um and we're you know we're actually thinking about some partnerships with the government there where we could potentially uh you know help um and you know it's we haven't announced it yet but we we would help maybe a government agency with uh, using this computable law approach in adjudication of certain um cases so this is an important project for us computable contracts has been you know it's been a lot of talk about that it's really early stages still and um you know a lot of people talk about those contracts putting them on a blockchain and then automating certain contract uh, obligations. I think that's an exciting area for us. I think we'll see generally see much interesting innovation in in that area. so this whole area of uh, you know bringing sort of big data analysis uh, to to not just the criminal justice system but also to government I think will provide. You know, increased transparency and understanding of how uh, how the government works, um, and so I think that's an important area where we'll see more more innovation in that space, uh, which I think is great. And then, you know, in terms of like um, another trend that I'm seeing is this whole chatbot area. We see a lot of chatbots used for for kind of you know discrete little. But interesting use cases in law. So you know we've, you know there's this. I think it's also a Stanford student here creating this um, chatbot that helps you challenge a parking ticket. You know they they unleashed that I think in London and uh, and in New York and it you know helped challenge already millions of dollars of parking citations. And uh, I think the person who started that he, he will do the same thing now for. Um, I think you wanted to use that approach to help you know, people claim certain social benefits. There's a, you know, a group of, you know, other um, innovators that I recently met, they're using this chatbot uh, approach for uh, applying for visa. So I think that, you know, that will, there will be a trend in that direction to, you know, for, for very specific kind of use cases in law to have a, a, a chat bot kind of walk you through and make it very conversational and help you gather the information. And then, you know, submitted to the government agency, or um, you know, whatever the, the the receiving side is, you know, all the materials, and you know, it's something that helps you save time and money. And, and I think that's, you know, I think that there'll be more of those kind of chatbots. Also, a student here has been working on on a chatbot for for medical insurance, so you can, you know, quickly check whether you know certain services that you need, whether they're covered by, or by your plan, things like that. So I think there's definitely a trend in, in, in that direction.
1: Gotcha. Thanks for joining us today, Roland. If our listeners would like to get in touch with you for whatever reason, what's the best way to do it?
2: Well, thank you for having me. If uh, your listeners want to get in touch with me, my email is rvogl at law.stanford.edu. Again, rvogl at law.stanford.edu. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear from you.
1: Great. This has been the ABA Journal's Legal Trailblazers podcast. Victor Lee signing off.
0: If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries.